The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On February 18th, 2020, a young woman logs into her Facebook account from a friend's phone. Later that day, she disappears without a trace. She has never been seen again. Where is she? You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we're bringing you the case of Jessica Deitzel. Like I'm A mother's worst nightmare has continued for three months with not many clues to help find Jessica Dietzola. Still at just ground zero. Christina Johnson's cries for help have gained national attention. Where is Jessica? It's our latest development. We're continue, uh, continuously interviewing uh, friends and associates of Jessica. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere. In the bowels of Georgia. So we got a little uh, traction on the Patreon page this week. Uh, bear with us. This may be the most we've had in a while. In a week, we've gotten four new patrons. Actually, five. Uh, shout Holy out. Holy crap. Five new patrons and I still ain't seen a dime. Well, I'll mail you a quarter. That way you can quit whining. Uh, that, Art- would, that, would, that would actually work. <laughs> RT123445, shout out. Uh, That is all that was given. Uh, Miss Brenda Raymer, hope I'm saying that right. Nikki L., she said, love you guys. Just join the patron bandwagon. Do not even attempt to say my last name. It's a bad one. And she's right. I will mess it up. Uh, Kirsten Fingerla and the artist known as Matt. Welcome to the shit show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, we do appreciate everyone's hard-earned patron money. Uh, for those of you that are listening this week and you are like, man, I just don't know about that patron thing. Good news. Spotify has graciously given us a subscription page now. So if you don't want what? Yeah. I don't know what that means, but it sounds exciting. What? Sounds exciting. If you don't want to join Patreon, you can join the Spotify membership subscription page for two ninety nine, and you still get a decal, and you get the nice. you get uh, exclusive uh, episodes. However, you may or may not get the uncut version. I don't know how to upload it. I'm going to work on that. When I do, we'll make sure that we update that. We are still working on our website, mysteriousbrews.com. Shout out to Shep Dog for running that thing for us. We got a blog link. I just got to find some time to sit down. That's where we're going to dump our notes, and y'all can have a discussion on there. We have links to everything under the sun, so things are looking up. Things are looking up. Got a, a lot of cases coming in, some requests. Going back to the great state of Arkansas next week. 
Uh, some breaking news today I sent to Coach. There has been a GoFundMe page set up to reinvestigate Stephen Smith's case. So we yeah, I saw that. That's 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 a great thing. They need to reopen it. And we've got a lot of traffic on it about, you know, Buster this and Buster that. And somebody was like, well, how can they pin it on Buster? I can't remember exactly who said it. How can they pin it on Buster by just hearsay? You know, just people, rumors. Well, I mean, that's how a small town works. Like, yeah, there is absolutely positively no evidence that would point to Buster. And I would, I'll freely admit that, but... Small town knows, man. Like, everybody knows. And the thing is, we say this all the time. There's a lot of cases we cover, and I go back to Rebecca Gould's case. We, we I say this loosely because we just, we were green, green, wet behind the ears, youngins, when we started that case. But um, Jim Bucoltz and her author friend out there in Arkansas, I can never remember his name, and I apologize, Um I should remember his name. George Jarrett. There we go. Um, They're the ones that they knew who did it. It's just getting law enforcement to be able to find that one piece of evidence to prove it. And like you said, probably everyone out there in Mountain Home knew who killed Rebecca. They just couldn't prove it. So same thing's going on with Stephen. I just hope the spotlight on Alex really opens up some avenues for them. I did read yesterday where they are going to exhume the housekeeper's body, but I will say this, if I was any way connected to that family, I would petition for some pathologist in Iowa to do the examination because as we duly noted in Stephen's case, the medical examiner knew Alex Murdaugh, and that lady was at the Medical College of South Carolina. So, if they're going to do any exhumation exhumations of bodies, I would go west of the Mississippi, young man, and uh, find me somebody that's willing to do it. But hopefully, now I will say this, Rob from Cigar Store Idiots did an episode on the entire Murdaugh umbrella and he had a great theory his theory was maybe buster really is innocent and paul the youngest one is the one that came across steven that night and convinced steven to get in the car or truck whatever and he's ultimately responsible he also hypothesized that since steven made the comment that he was going fishing with a man that was well-connected to the local area that maybe Stephen was referring to Alex and not Buster because, remember, Stephen and Buster are both the same age. So that is a decent theory young Rob presented on his episode on the Murdaugh murders. But hopefully, with all the spotlight on Alex we get some answers in Stephen's case and in the housekeeper's case. So let's get back at it with Jessica Van Zant Dietzel. When we left you, we had said what a shit show it was with 
local law enforcement. And it was a good place to stop, so we're going to jump in with the suspects in this case. And you got the Christmas lights tent guy who had the odd note that stated, Happy Valentine's Day, and it actually read his name, Love, Jessica Van Zandt, and then she dated it to 1420. Then you got the picture of Jessica in Christmas Guy's tent on the 13th from his cell phone showing the same clothes that she was wearing when she is seen entering the in-market convenience store on the 14th. And by same clothes, we mean the same shirt because the picture, from what I can gather, is just a headshot so you can see what kind of T-shirt she has on. Then you can likely deduce that... More than likely, Jessica stayed the night of the 13th or the morning of the 14th with Christmas Lights Guy. Microphone issues. It's wanting to come unscrewed. It's plugged in tonight, though. <laughs> Good news. Good news. We, but it's like it's like a droopy dong. It won't stay up. <laughs> get it some Blue Chew, man. Get it some Blue Chew. Oh, shameless plug for a sponsor that ain't sponsors yet. <laughs> That's right. The next suspect on the list is just the man in the car. And one of Jessica's brothers said that he saw Jessica on the 17th of February riding in a car with an unnamed guy. And keep in mind, that is the same day that the anonymous witness said that she saw Jessica and old 47-year-old PJ together at an undisclosed location. Now, Jessica tells her brother that she is on her way to see Kenny when he sees her on the 17th. But she's in this car with no one knows his name. Now, let's get back to PJ, and that is not his name. I have to, you know, disclose this again. All the research that I did used anonymous names or pseudonym names. So keep that in mind. You may by now know his real name. I don't really care one way or the other, unless he's been arrested, and then we will blast it. But we are still sticking with his pseudonym of PJ. So on February 16th, PJ is talking to Jessica about coming to get her from somewhere around 3.51 a.m., and that's pretty precise because of Facebook Messenger. Now, he attempted to call her at 5.04 a.m., didn't get an answer. Jessica calls him back. PJ tells Jessica that he is on his way at 5.26 a.m. At 5.31 a.m., Jessica and PJ have a roughly one-minute phone call. Immediately after that call, he leaves her some type of voicemail. Jessica had messaged him an address, but PJ stated that it would not pull up on his Maps app that he was using. The address basically was non-existent. However, come to find out, she had messed up just one number, and by doing so, that address that was one number off was that of someone Christina and Jessica both knew. Now, something occurs between Jessica and PJ within the next two days, and he messages her telling her that if she goes to see church guy, which that's the guy that started the tent city, he's done with her. Now, according to PJ, Jessica and this church guy had hooked up in the past. And remember, church guy had been the one that was very forthcoming with Jessica's mom, Christina, and the authorities. He's the one that let them search his phone. He told them everything he knew. 
But he did leave out one little tiny detail, and that was that he and Jessica had been intimate. Now, he did admit to doing drugs with Jessica at Tent City, and in a conversation with Christina's friend Leah, PJ states that Jessica had told him that she thought she was pregnant and PJ was the father. PJ says that he asked Jessica if the father could be the church guys. And Jessica explains to him that it is most definitely PJ's. PJ becomes emotional when telling Leah this story, going as far to state, quote, this goes double for whoever did this because she was pregnant, end quote. Leah states that PJ seemed to be hinting that Jessica was deceased and he knew it. Now, whether that is true or not, only PJ knows and he's not been talking. PJ then changes the subject with his conversation with Leah and says that Kenny had sent him a picture of a shovel, a garden hoe, a shoe, and a bag. Jessica's brownish purse, a clear Mary Kay bag filled with notebooks and colored pencils, and a camo duffel bag she had have never been found. These items were noticed in Jessica's social media post prior to her disappearance. Now, PJ tells Leah that he turned over the photos Kenny sent him to the police. One can only assume he is referring to the Albany Police Department, and they're not Johnny on the spot and have a good track record when it comes to this case. Then we get to old Kenny. Kenny, according to people who have seen Jessica's Facebook Messenger account, state that it appears that Jessica and Kenny did not communicate via the Facebook Messenger app around the time that Jessica went missing. The last message between the two was in August of 2021. That is six months prior to Jessica vanishing. Now, this lines up with Jessica's cousin telling... Christina about how she had contacted Jessica just prior to Jessica disappearing to let her know that Kenny was out on bond. And remember Jessica asked her cousin to let Kenny know where she was staying. So now we go back to the Facebook messenger contact and that's the old boy that she messages the night she disappears on February 17th. Remember, she uses another guy's phone to send this old boy a message. She asks, quote, hey, what are you doing? I'm at the deep south, and it feels like 101 to 102 degrees outside. Call me, please, or come see me at least. I know for a fact it's out, and I need to see something ASAP, end quote. Now, there was not a heat wave in Albany in February of 2020. So investigators and Jessica's mom, Christina, believe the 101 to 102 degrees thing that she is referring to is some sort of code. Christina has theorized that the temperature is letting the guy know that there is a lot of heat, a.k.a. the popo, at the Deep South Motel. As for it's out, she could be referring to her telling PJ that she was pregnant with his baby. Pure speculation, but... Keep in mind, when she says she needs to see something ASAP, is she referring to actually going to see someone ASAP? Well, does it say something or does it say someone? So it says needs to see, I need 
to see something. So nobody knows. Because basically she's homeless at this time, and she's chasing that next high. So it could be a person, or it could be something else. I mean, nobody really knows. So after those messages, she sends the guy another message stating, I know I am in too deep. She then attempts to video call him, but the call is not answered. He does not message her back until later, and then that's when he asks, what do you mean? Jessica tries once again to video call him, but again, he doesn't answer. She then messages him, quote, man, I'm about to leave this room. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt, and now look at me looking hurt and stupid. Uh, I'm going to sleep, end quote. Now, that message registers at 11.45 p.m. on February 17th. At 12.39 a.m. on the 18th, she attempts to voice call the guy again to no avail. She tries again at 12.44 a.m., and that is the last... Oh, I'm sorry. And then she tries again a minute later at 12.45 a.m., and that's the last action, whatever you want to call it, on her end of the messenger app. Now, remember, at the next, that morning between when she tried to call him and then about approximately 11 a.m. is when he attempts to call her back and there's no answer. He then messages her asking her to call him, and that's the last contact anyone has had with Jessica. After the 18th of February, we have PJ messaging Jessica saying, quote, guess you and Christmas lights guy are doing okay. Guess I'm about to get out of this hellhole for a while. Please take care of yourself and do whatever it takes to get that baby girl back because she needs her mom. Love you, end quote. Now, PJ then again messages her on February 20th asking if she's okay. He does the same thing on the 22nd and then calls her and does not get an answer. Four hours after the call, he sends her the big blue thumbs up in the messenger, which is odd. If you hadn't gotten in touch with her then what are you doing sending the thumbs up unless you physically saw her? Well, it's not that hard to send a thumbs up, bro. Yeah, but I mean, hell, supposedly he's not heard from her since the 18th. We're looking at two days later and just out of the blue, there's a big blue thumbs up. (laughs) He attempts again to call her on the 26th. Again, there's no answer. On the 27th, he asks her what she is doing. On March 1st, he messaged her, quote, where are you? Are you okay? End quote. And this is right after he speaks with her mom, Christina. Now, Kenny messages her on the 24th of February, telling her, quote, do us both a favor and take my last name off your page. How thirsty of a hoe are you? I mean, you fuck damn near everyone in my family and most of Albany. It's a complete disgrace being married to you. Mary go round. And by the way, you fucked up when you stole from, and he names a drug dealer. And then the drug dealer's name that Kenny drops is still well known in Albany. And that young man, or not young man, that man had ties to the gang activity as well. Now, according to Christina, Jessica hides this guy's drugs for him right before his house is raided by the DEA. The kicker is she proceeded to go get the drugs she had hid and then never returned them. Now, you may be thinking, bingo, case solved. We figured it out. 
Not so fast. (laughs) Not so fast, Shaggy. Son of a bitch. See, the dealer goes to prison even though they don't find a whole lot at the raid. And then he dies sometime in 2019. So while he could not be the one who made her disappear physically, someone that took over his operation may have done something to her at his request or out of a sense of revenge for him going to the slammer. Now, continue, continue. Woo. How much? Best in the biz, best in the biz. That's why you get you get paid the big bucks. Yeah, let me tell you. And I don't get shit. <laughs> get all the love, coach. Everybody loves your memes. That's true. That is a good point. I do get more mean. I, get, I do get more love on the social media. <laughs> Kenny continues with messages. In one, he tells her that her and some guy are lucky that quote heroin got you strung the fuck out, but you chose that lifestyle. So be happy with it. End quote. All of these messages were random as hell. What is discovered later is that Kenny had the Text Now app. And you may be saying, whoopty shit. But on February 19th, Kenny texts someone named Jessica on that app. And when this Jessica responds with, my name is Jessica, Kenny says, are you alive? Then it dawns on him to ask if she was Jessica Van Zant, which is a little suspicious. Little suspicious if you ask me. Now, this would lead you to believe that he was either told or had knowledge, personal eyeball knowledge, that his Jessica, Jessica Van Zant, was no longer living. Hey guys, Arlo here, and if you are struggling with the old caffeine in the morning, I have got the fix for you. It is called Magic Mind. And it is just a little two-ounce shot that you drink with your coffee or your energy drinks in the morning. It is chocked full of greatness, and it will get you focused. And it really actually has the L-theanine, and that lowers your cortisol hormone, which helps absorb that caffeine that you're intaking. Now, Magic Mind has nootropics, adaptogens, matcha green tea, and 12 magical ingredients. That matcha boosts your energy. The adaptogens help with relaxation, and the nootropics keep you focused. A bonus is that it has vitamins C and D along with the echinacea to help your immunity. So head over to magicmind.co backslash brews and enter the promo code BREWS20. That is Bruise 20, B-R-E-W-S-2-0, and that will give you a 20% off coupon for either a one-time purchase or subscription to a monthly dose of Magic Mind. Now, let's get into the old rumor mill of Albany. And if you're from Albany... Rumor mill of Albany. Ain't that an all-you-can-eat buffet? They might have one of them down there. I will tell you this. I did Google Albany, and the lady that recommended this case was right. There is a definite dividing line. Um, it oh, is, most places are like that. It is similar to Columbus, but worse. So the Nothing worse than Columbus, except for Macon. 
<laughs> I don't know. Columbus you is right. Ever been to Macon? Yes, a lot, and it, it was not good. Dude, it is a it is a shithole. I'm sorry if you love Macon. Love it. I'm just go ahead and keep loving it because somebody fucking needs to. Amen. I've wasted <laughs> many a weekend down there on the old wrestling mat. Anyway, so let's. Get, all right, the one thing I did want to say is. If you are truly from Albany, Georgia, you do not say Albany, Georgia. You say Albany. So let's get that out of the way before somebody says that we don't know who we're talking about. We're talking about Albany, Georgia. Now, once it is official that Jessica is missing, the Albany rumor mill kicks into overdrive. And there's a lot of unnamed sources, so try to keep up. An unnamed girl posts that she heard Jessica had OD'd and was thrown in the Flint River. Another rumor comes from someone who contacted Jessica's family saying that Jessica had been hanging around with a guy they call Manny. The person goes on to state that Jessica had OD'd and they had removed her body from Manny's house and that he had got the hell out of town. And the person who stated this tells that when he got the hell out of town, he left the door to his house wide ass open. He left the TVs on and... Someone, either him in his haste to leave, had ransacked the house looking for something or someone come in behind him and ransacked the house looking for something. Now, this same person says that Manny left in such a hurry that he left his drug stash behind. So I guess he was thinking, oh, shit, if I don't leave now, it's over. Then you have one of the ballsiest drug players in Albany that I've ever seen or read about who calls Jessica's mother, Christina directly and tells her quote, she overdosed and they threw her ass in the river end quote and hung up the phone. Cold as fucking ice, dude. That is very, very cold. It's cold as ice. Willing to sacrifice my love. (laughs) You're killing me. Smalls. All right, that's my only contribution to this, man. I'm just letting you do your thing, and I'm trying to chime in every once in a while. Surprise, motherfucker. He talks. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) All right, so another woman calls Christina and tells her, quote, Kenny had called her on the night of the 17th and asked if she could come pick him up from 622 Pick Avenue. He sounded pretty shaken up and repeatedly asked if this woman was on her way. He was adamant that he wanted, quote, out, which seems very odd, but the lady did not want to go to the authorities and has since tried to distance herself from the investigation and Jessica's family and denies ever saying this. Several weeks lady, lady, several weeks lady, a lady, several weeks later, a lady calls Christina and says that someone told her they had seen Jessica's body in a freezer. When asked where this freezer was located, the lady responds at some house on Pick Avenue. What? The same Pick Avenue that Kenny had just called and tried to get a ride from. Maybe Kenny does know something. Now, when you think that it's just the rumor mill spinning out of control, keep in mind that the lady stating that Kenny called asking for a ride from Pick Avenue and the lady that supposedly saw Jessica's body in a freezer in a house on Pick Avenue did not know each other, 
and did not run in the same circles. Then you have a guy who is going into surgery, okay, and he states, as the anesthesia is starting to take hold, quote, I saw Jessica Van Zant's body being put in a barrel of acid at that house at 622 Pick Avenue. How's that old saying go? If there's smoke, it quacks and looks like a duck. Isn't that how it goes? Maybe it's a smoking duck that started a fire. But (laughs) basically, boys and girls, something going on at Pick Avenue. And they had a lot of people talking about it. And just like we talked about at the opening, people in a small town know. And Albany's not necessarily a tiny town, but that side of Albany is very tight-knit. So the freezer theory explodes and runs like wildfire through Albany, Lee County, and even into Baker County, which is the county south of Albany. And remember, Albany's in Dardy County. A tip comes in from a sheriff's deputy who stated that one of his confidential informants in Baker County told him that Jessica had overdosed at the house on Pick Avenue, was then put into a freezer in a shed in the backyard of said house, and then that freezer was later taken to a local landfill. I need, we need some fuckery music because there's some more fuckery coming around the bend. What does fuckery music sound like, though? I don't know. That's why I'm saying, like, Maybe our listeners can can come up with. We'll put a poll up since uh, Spotify is big on polls here lately. I will put up there. What is the um, fornication under the consent of the kingery music, mm. and then let people just bomb us. So, Christina and Leah head to one of the two landfills near Albany. They even call Albany's 911 and explain that they have a credible source stating that Jessica's body is in a landfill near Albany, and they are headed to one now. 911 tells them they need to contact one of the investigators and let them know. What the fuck? Why even have 911? Oh, ma'am, I can't take that information. You're just going to have to call the investigator. No, you dumbass. I'm calling 911 for a reason. Again... Like I said, more fuckery is afoot. Christina does call an investigator, and this dumbass tells her that he's busy and he'll call her back. And I guarantee you, the conversation probably went like this. Hey, I have just heard that my daughter was placed in a freezer, and I'm headed to a landfill to see if I can find a freezer. And this goofball decides, I'm just a little too busy to chase that down. You just let me know what's going on. I'll call you back later. So, Christina arrives at what we are going to call Landfill A because I have no idea which one's which. Way before anybody from law enforcement gets there, Christina and Leah get to the landfill and find that the gate is locked. No one from law enforcement meets them there, and the investigator that was supposed to call Christina back has not returned her call. So, she calls 911 again and is told that someone would be there shortly. And guess what? Ne'er a soul graced that gate. So here is one of the 911 calls that Christina made. So let us listen to a mother in distress. And when I tell you a mother is in distress, she does not hold back. Who's that? 
one. I don't think they have. No, the Dog Blues Party is here at Bolo. They just, I'm sorry, they just do, yeah, they just did a be on the lookout because they think she's just hiding out. Okay, okay, so they did a Bolo. They did a Bolo. Omni Police Department. Okay. Lake County. Black or white female? Yes. Which one, black or white female? White. Okay. And who told you that her body is out there in the landfill? A Baker County Sheriff's deputy called me with information from a confidential informant. I called the police, the investigator, and everybody else under the shiny damn sun. And do you know what? Not nobody showed up. Okay? I'm out here. It's day two. Do you know what? No, no damn body showed up. Yeah, who was the guy talking at the beginning? I think that's one of her sons. To be honest with you, I thought we, I honestly, God thought we were country as turnip greens, but good lord, now we we're pretty country. I mean, we, we may be collards, but we ain't turnips. So, as you can tell, Christina is fed the fuck up, and I don't blame her. She's getting stonewalled at every turn. She's having to do her own investigation, conduct interviews. It's just a a uh, big old tractor trailer load of horse shit that she's having to go through, and no one seems to give two shits about whether or not Christina is really missing or dead. Now, Christina and Leah, once they realize that there's no way they're getting in that locked gate after ma- making the 911 call, head over to landfill B. Now, this landfill was no longer operational, and it would have been much easier for some nefarious people to sneak in a freezer that may or may not have had a body in it. So Christina and Leah start searching the landfill until it gets dark and they can't find anything. Christina has basically just been her emotional roller coaster takes a toll on her and she becomes distraught. She's doing everything she knows to do and is getting absolutely no help from anyone at the Albany PD or Darty County Sheriff's office. So the next morning, Christina calls Baker County Sheriff's Office and speaks with the officer that relayed the tip to her. The officer is shocked that not only had no one come to her first 911 call, but he was even more shocked that no one in law enforcement had bothered to call Christina back. So he decides that he will call Albany PD and submit the tip himself. So 36 hours. that work out? Well... So 36 hours after Christina's first 911 call, we finally have authorities responding to the landfill. The Burke County Sheriff's Office officer called in a lot of resources too and met Christina at Landfill B where her and Leah had searched the night before. Christina is trying to explain to Albany PD about what all had gone on in the previous 36 hours and where the tip had come from, and where they had searched the night before. The weight of the whole situation just crashes in on her, and she becomes inconsolable crying, and just a m- m- emotional wreck, basically. So Leah steps in and tries to convey basically where Christina just stopped talking. As she starts to explain where they had searched, the officer from Albany cuts her off and tells her, quote, I am not discussing this case with you because it has nothing to do with you, end quote. What the actual hell is going on down there? 
the lady has been right there. From what I can gather, Leah has been her ride-or-die girl from the get-go when Christina started looking. From the jump, son. That's right. So why not take her statement? It's just, again, it's not incompetence at this point. It's borderline stupidity. And I mean S-T-E-W-P-I-D, stupid. Now, police decide in their infinite wisdom that they would focus their efforts on the landfill that was locked. But guess what? They're going to have to wait for someone to arrive at the gate with a key so they can get in. Yeah. If you do not listen to anything else tonight, listen to this. Do not ever find yourself needing any law enforcement help in Darty County or Albany, Georgia. Stay the hell out of there. You're going to be a statistic. So Christina and Leah are waiting on the key holder, and I have forgotten the whole line from Ghostbusters, so I'm hoping you remember it. Are you the gatekeeper? (laughs) I am the key master. (laughs) So while they're waiting on the old key holder, they get a tip on one of their cell phones. Yes, people know how shitty a job Albany PD is doing at this point and just start contacting Christina directly. This tip is followed up on, but it turns out to be a dead end. So, Christina and Leah, they leave the scene of Landfill A where they're waiting on a key. And they go follow up on this lead. It pans out to be nothing. So, they are headed home in separate cars. And Leah decided that after they had chased that dead end, she was just going to drive by Landfill A to see how the search was going. When she arrives at Landfill A, she notices that the gates are open. So she calls Christina and tells her to come over to Landfill A. Christina rallies the troops to help law enforcement search Landfill A. And when they get in the gates, they discover, once again, ne'er a law enforcement officer is at Landfill A. So they sat out there, God knows how long, waiting on a key. And obviously someone with a key showed up because the gates were still open, but they're not searching. Not one single law enforcement officer is at Landfill A. Now, undaunted, the Jessica Van Zant Dietzel Army begins searching every freezer they can find. And unfortunately, they do not find any clues nor do they find anything leading to Jessica. While the JVD army, as they are called on the social medias, is searching two police cars from, I'm assuming, Albany PD show up. And when I tell you that these two are grade A, grade A dumbasses, they make the Keystone cops look like they know what the hell they're doing. So these two goofballs show up, and they make all the searchers stop, and they ask, what in the hell are they doing in a landfill at night? Calling 911, stating that a body may be in a freezer in a landfill, does not get noticed by these two geniuses. Driving through open gates of some landfill at night, Bingo, alarms are raised, and the cops are ready to stop you from stealing another man's trash. Clowns. They're all clowns. So, 
when they start explaining the situation, the two officers don't even know who Jessica Van Zant Dixel is. They don't even know she's missing. They are unaware of any police presence that has been at Landfill A that day. So Christina calls the sheriff of Adarda County and to tell him how her and the searchers called the JVD Army are all about to be arrested for searching the landfill. When she gets someone at the number, she is informed that see um see uh see the 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 sheriff um he's on vacation. So Leah calls the one cop that has been helpful to Christina and Leah during this whole ordeal. And he just so happens to be an officer at Albany PD. So there's one good one there. However, when she calls, there's no answer. He does text her immediately explaining that he is actually in the jail and he will call her as soon as he can. She texts him back and says, if you do not call me now, I'm probably going to be arrested along with Christina and all the searchers. So I'll see you soon either way. He immediately calls Leah. Leah has to tell one of the officers on the scene at Landfill A that she is actually speaking to an Albany police officer on the phone. After some, quote, persuasion, one of the officers on scene does take the phone and listens, and magically all the bravado ceases. However, the searchers, along with Christina and Leah, are told that they must leave the landfill immediately. In the words of Ron White, ladies and gentlemen, you can't fix stupid. So Christina goes by Landfill A the next morning and catches someone that actually works there. And she apologizes for causing such a ruckus the night before. The manager. Was it a bad ruckus? Well, the cops were called. (laughs) So... The manager of the landfill tells Christina that she can have access to the entire property day or night and gives her a card so that she can call him and let him know when her and her searchers are coming. And come to find out, the cops were not called by the people that run the landfill. The cops were actually called by two other trespassers who were fishing a waste pond in the back. See, like, hey, uh, we're doing some illegal stuff. We, we trespassing, doing some fishing in this. We're looking for some three-eyed fish in this waste pond. But, man, there's a whole lot of people up there trying to steal some trash. Y'all need to get down here. It just boggles my mind, man. It just boggles my mind. So the next theory is that Jessica OD'd and was taken to a local tree service company. Yes, let your imagination run wild, and it will probably go the same way mine did. This tree service is one that has employed a lot of the people that were in Jessica's circle. The rumor is that two of the people suspected in having a hand in Jessica's disappearance were seen in the company truck lot in an area that they should not have been, and they were dumping something. The tip was actually investigated by both Lee County and Darty County, Both sheriff's office sent cadaver dogs to search the area. However, fortunately, the dogs did not hit on anything, and we have ourselves yet another busted dead-end lead. 
Well, that's how you get a mystery. <laughs> you may be on something. You might want to start. Yeah, a, I think you should do a podcast. I was going to say you might want to start a podcast on mysteries. About mysteries? Yeah. Just mysteries, though. Only mysteries. I know, man. We get so many. Like, well, not so many, but we definitely still get um, case suggestions. And I'm like, oh, this looks cool. And then at the bottom, it was like, so and so was convicted of 35 years for. Damn it! <laughs> like, I don't have the heart to tell them. Like yeah. if it's solved, we don't cover it. It's not called, what do you say? It's not called soft brews. It's called mysterious brews. Exactly. Oh, man. All right, so the next tip comes in the form of an abandoned car. Now, this one is a little juicy, a juicy, I say. The car was found running in an alley and was towed when... They run the plates. The car comes back to a man named Stephen Etherton. And yes, that is his God-given name because it was all over the news. People who know Mr. Etherton start asking why he is driving some random, random car and not his car. He gives them some lame-ass excuse, but then people start to find out that his car had been found abandoned, running in an alley, and was towed. You may be asking yourself, self, why is this important? Why is Arlo even talking about this? Coach is wondering the same thing. But Mr. Etherton and Jessica had been seen together just days before the incident at the Deep South Motel. An incident, I mean, all the text messaging. Not only was Jessica seen with Mr. Etherton, young Stephen was infatuated with Jessica. So Christina gets wind of Stephen's car being impounded and drives down to the impound lot to see if they will let her look at it. And guess what? It works. The tow company tells Christina that there is nothing mechanically wrong with the car. Stephen had just left it running in an alley and chalked it up as a loss. Christina begins searching the car. She finds the normal junk that you would find in a car, but when she searches the glove box, she finds some mail that has not been opened, and guess who it's addressed to? Her daughter. It was Jessica's Cash App card. For those of you that don't know, Cash App was way before Venmo, and if and just like Venmo, if you wanted to, they would send you a little reloadable debit card that you could use your cash app money on. But Jessica never opened this piece of mail, and it was in Etherton's glove box. Coming in dead last to the party of the towed vehicle are the authorities. They contact Christina asking where the car is so they can go search it. It just is amazing to me how inept they really are. So not to turn over a new leaf in the investigation, the authorities put Stephen Etherton on blast. And when I mean blast, I mean he is named a person of interest. His picture is on all forms of media asking for information on his whereabouts. He did have an open arrest warrant, so police could detain him if they could just find him. Lo and behold, he's found. Not 
by the investigating law enforcement officers, but by one of the volunteer searchers who knew Christina, who was actually in Panama City Beach, Florida, and sees young Stephen at a campground on the Redneck Riviera. The Redneck Riviera? Yes, sir. That's called Panama City Beach, Florida. You know, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, I once saw a man down there on the Redneck Riviera. I was but a young lad of 19 years of age. Oh, so back in the 60s. Oh, look at you being funny. <laughs> now, I got up. we got up about, oh, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, looked down at the pool, and there's an old boy already hammered wearing half a watermelon as a hat. I mean, he brought his own party is all I can tell you. I mean, he was gone. We went down there just to talk to him, and he was gone. But anyway, back to the circus circus this is. So the warrant that Stephen had in Georgia was a non-extraditable warrant. So all Panama City authorities could do was, quote, interview Stephen. Stephen had not done anything wrong, so they just had to speak to him and let him go. Well, Stephen decides to test out the old fuck around and find out, and he gets himself arrested in Florida. Now that he's in custody, Lee County and Darty County send investigators down to PCB, which is Panama City Beach, for you people not in the great state of Georgia, and they're going to interview Stephen. Now, Stephen, while not quite the criminal mastermind, did not tell investigators anything earth-shattering, so yet another lead comes to a dead end. So now we get into the question of, is Jessica missing, or is this a case of a young lady that was murdered? What we know is that the last place that there is confirmation of Jessica being alive and being seen is at the Deep South Motel. Now, remember, Heather Ashley from Big Mad True Crime Podcast called the motel and asked if they kept records of who rented which room and was told that they did, and she also asked about the security cameras. While this motel is known to be frequented by people in the local drug and prostitution rooms, we can assume you still have to show some sort of ID to get a room. Now, we know that just because the hotel has Jimmy's ID as the one renting a room does not necessarily correlate to who else is staying in Jimmy's room. Or, for that matter, how many people come and go from Jimmy's room. If you had a competent investigation from day one of Christina reporting Jessica missing, you could theoretically get the record from the Deep South Motel and see who had rooms on the 16th through the 18th of February. And you could start hauling their asses down to the old Popo station and running down when they stayed, who they stayed with, who visited them, and most importantly, if they ever saw Jessica during those three days. 
once you get that core group of people who did, in fact, lay eyes on Jessica that night, you can start narrowing that down to what time did they see her? What was she wearing? Was she with anyone? Was she having to be helped to a room or from a room, etc.? As this is going on, you would have someone pulling the security footage, not only from the Deep South Motel, but also the doctor's office's cameras and the Hardy's cameras to see if you can grab a shot of Jessica on CCTV. You know, like normal police do. But this was far from a normal investigation. So we now get to our theories. Shit, I ain't got a damn clue, man. I think there is where there's smoke, there's fire kind of deal with the OD and the freezer. I think that is probably pretty good area to kind of hone in on. I think that while they said they were going to take it to a landfill, they may never have, or they never took the whole freezer with her body in it to a landfill. Keep in mind, if she passed away or OD'd that night, say the night later, so look, we're saying the 19th or the 20th, we could even go as far as like the 24th, I think, when Kenny freaks out and has to be, or is calling people to come get his ass from the Pick Avenue address. If she passed away then, we're still talking about the Flint River being out of its banks because of the flood. If they dumped the freezer in the river, there's no telling where that thing's at. Even if they dumped her body in the river, there's no telling where that thing's at. And the rumor mills down there is when the Flint River floods, there's whole-ass trees that just go floating by that nobody ever sees again. So this is a fast-moving river. I'm pretty sure old Kenny knows more than he's saying. I think old cell phone dude, and his name's out there too, I think that he knows what's going on as well. And I just, there's people out there, kind of like Christina said, that know what happened. But there's honor among thieves in Albany, and nobody is looking for Jessica, unfortunately. I do think that Christina and her army of volunteers and searchers are doing the right thing. They're keeping her case alive and in the media the best they can. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they're just not getting any help from Albany or Doherty County. Lee County and Baker County obviously have their shit together because they're the ones that basically jump-started the whole investigation. And Baker County, if you'll remember, is the one where a confidential informant kind of verified the freezer theory. So, unfortunately, I think that Miss Jessica is no longer with us, but whether or not her body will ever be found is going to be a severe, monumental task. So you have no theories, Coach? You don't like the th- the freezer theory or the OD no, theory? No, nothing. I got I, honestly nothing. I don't even know. Like you like them all, is what I heard. I'm just gonna say no. I think she just disappeared, man. Just poof, gone. Vortex. Hmm. 
Jessica Van Zant Dietzel would be 25 years old. She was last seen wearing a teal green or blue Nike t-shirt, dark jeans, light colored socks with black slides on, and a brownish purse. She stood five foot seven inches tall, weighed 150 pounds. She had long, straight, blondish, brownish hair to below her shoulders with hazel eyes. Jessica had the following tattoos. She had the name Elena and a butterfly on the upper left side of her chest, the words Kenny Man on the upper right side of her chest, riding on the side of her rib cage, an arrow in the center of her upper back, a heart between her left thumb and index finger, stars on her thigh, and the words perfectly flawed on her other thigh. She was known to wear a nose ring in her right nostril and a stud immediately above her upper right side lip a lip ring on the lower lip. And if you have any information about the whereabouts of Jessica Van Zant Dietzel, please contact the Lee County Sheriff's Office at 229-759-6034. If you do have information, you can call Albany PD if you want, but Lee County is listed as the investigating agency on the Charlie Project's website when you look for Jessica's case. My heart goes out to her mom and her siblings and family. Just the not knowing has got to be awful. And then having to live in that rumor mill, like we said at the beginning, they probably know by now who did it. It's whether or not they can prove it. And hopefully they've gotten their shit together at Albany PD and someone actually gives a rat's ass about solving this case. So... That, ladies and gentlemen, is the case of Jessica Van Zant Dietzel. We now get into the recommendation part. And hmm. since I got called out last week for recommending the same thing twice. <laughs> well, you can call me out now because I didn't even thought about recommendations. I don't even think I got one. So. What the hell? Well, if, I didn't think about, I didn't think about it. If you like pina coladas. Oh, my God. If I wasn't drinking a sip of my Coke, I was about to say that. I swear. <laughs> I swear to God. Swear to God. Swear to, state law, swear to God. Did you hear about him? Who? I can't think of his name. Uh, Baker. What's He's on social media, the long, stringy hair. State law, swear to God. He's from Florida. I God, I can't think of his name. Anyway, no. he'd been, he was a com- he's a comedian. He's on the Bob and Tom show all the time. Um. Uh, he had been messing around with a married woman, and that lady's husband found out that he was in town and shot up his car on the interstate in Indianapolis, Indiana. Old boy about died. Anyway, so recommendations. The Daily Alaskan is a show on ABC, which I catch up on on Hulu, and it is binge-worthy. It is very, very good, very good. They are investigating the missing and murdered indigenous people. I happen to say it is quite a good show, quite a good show, which probably means ABC is going to cancel the damn thing. But anyway, that's my recommendation. Coach's recommendation is that you join our Facebook page and then you join our private group. Seriously, yeah. Go on there and look up Mysterious Brews and you can find our public page and then join Mysterious Brews podcast on groups and then you'll get the funniest memes. This side of the missile trucker. (laughs) Damn you. (laughs) 
you finished my sentence, bro. That's twice, man. We're in trouble. We're gonna have to cut this one short. <laughs> if I'm finishing your sentences. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh all right, ladies and gentlemen. Please be good to each other. If you can't be good, at least be good at it. Coach, you got anything else? You know I don't. Deuces. <laughs>